Hello and welcome to this special edition of the FT Advisor podcast. I'm David Thorpe, Special Projects Editor at FT Advisor. Today we are looking at the options available to investors looking for some downside protection and diversification at a time of severe market dislocation. This podcast is sponsored by Artemis and is part of our Despatches series. The reality of higher inflation and the prospect of higher interest rates mean now is a difficult time to be an equity investor. While many of the areas of the market which had led the 10-year-long rally in areas such as technology have fallen away, leaving many investors and clients wondering what comes next. Joining me to unpack those questions are Fahad Hassan, Chief Investment Officer at Abermarle Street Partners, and Alex Illingworth, Manager of the Midwind Investment Trust and other mandates at Artemis. Thank you both for joining me. Thanks, David. Thank you. Alex, if we start with you, how do you think about diversification within the equity portfolios that you run in the current uh, climate? Yes, well, th- thanks, David. Uh, you know, nobody knows how inflation, how high inflation will go or really how long it will last. And obviously, certainly in a period of inflationary pressures growing, it's not normally a great environment for those managers of, of risk assets. So I think two rules apply for equity managers at a time like this, and that is make sure that your eggs are spread across different baskets while avoiding areas which struggle with inflation. For example, labour-intensive industries. For Hadsbury's, Alex runs portfolios that invest directly in equities. Presumably you guys at Abermarl choose um, equity funds. And what are you looking for when you're, when you're allocating capital on that equity sleeve right now? Um, yeah, absolutely, David. So we, we uh, invest in uh, equity funds and, and we invest in other asset classes as well. And uh, when we uh, look at funds, uh, what we are looking for is that diversification. So uh, uh, just, just uh, you know, in terms of uh, quality uh, sort of funds, uh, uh, the fund that Alex runs um, and the investment trust that he's uh, in charge of, uh, the Midwind uh, Investment Trust is one that we do have an allocation to uh, that would be in our quality sort of uh, factor bucket, uh, but alongside quality stock allocations, we would also or uh, quality fund allocations. We would also have allocations to value funds and to growth funds as well. And what we uh, find is that through a cycle, having a bit in each of those pots is is uh, worthwhile, uh, and we spread. Uh, those bets uh, by factor diversification. Thank you, and we'll uh, stick with you for the for the next one, uh, please, Fahad. Equity markets have obviously been very volatile this year. I mean, volatile almost makes it sound like they go up a bit and down a bit, but actually they've just been going the down a bit, bit. Um, but do you feel now, perhaps, that that all of the the possible bad news in the known universe is is priced in? It feels like it when we when we look at the news every day and we think it couldn't possibly be anything else that could go wrong. Um, in 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 terms of uh, possible bad news, obviously uh, yeah, cycles uh, can uh, and particularly down cycles for markets can be very sharp, and 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 that's what's disconcerting, and that's what's uh, caught people off guard in 
particular with regards to inflation and the speed with which uh, the Fed has acted. Um, I believe that uh, the uh, other risks that are to follow are those that uh, start with a slowing economy. And slowing economy uh, causes a risk to corporate profits. And that is the, that next shoe that everyone's waiting uh, to drop, basically. So corporate uh, earnings estimates haven't yet started to come down in a meaningful way. And what we are expecting is uh, for co- corporate managements to come out in the next uh, couple of quarters uh, to reassess uh, how fast they can grow those profits and uh, that is something that that could have a, a knock-on impact on, on equities uh, as we look into the second half of the year. Thank you for that. Alex, I know that your uh, funds, your, your mandates there at Artemis, emphasise a little bit the, uh, the, the cautiously managed uh, nature. What does cautiously managed look like in a world with all of this uncertainty? And yeah. indeed, is all the bad news already priced in? Can you be more cautious than you are now? <laughs> um well, let's just you know take the two the mandates that you've mentioned, the investment trust and and Artemis Glo- Global Select Select the Unit Trust. And I talked about not too many eggs in one basket in answer to the to the first question. So I think diversification is very important, and I think that's an interesting term to use in the context of the last decade, where diversification actually hasn't been necessary, nor really has um, attention to to valuation. It's all a bit about concentration, conviction. Um, but at the moment, we think in order to try and best protect clients' capital, you do need an awful lot of diversity b- built in. And you need value for money versus versus cu- um, current profits. And of course, that value for money probably did lose a little bit of its central role mm-hmm. in the latter part of the, the, you know, the bull market. Uh, you know, I took quite some examples. It was in October or November that NVIDIA was up 50% last year. Mm-hmm. Seems a long, long t- um, time ago now, but it's just some examples of the type of period of time that we that we walk through. Um, but I would say today we do feel that a number of share prices can be justified by today's uh, um, <laughs> earnings. Uh, and that's almost even though we know we face higher rates and we face potential recessionary issues. Obviously, you've got to be in companies that can look after themselves. But I would certainly say that a lot of the valuation destruction um, has um, has already happened. That might not be a cue to go and buy buy stocks quite yet. And I certainly wouldn't go so far to say all the bad news um, is um, is in the is in the price. Um, but we are in the midst of a change of sentiment and, and approach to equities, and that process, from experience, suggests can be quite elongated. So I think valuation has got to play a much more central role um, in, the, in, in, um, in the months to come. And it's probably you know, better to wait until the depths of the recession or the depths of the earnings numbers reducing, as Fahad mentioned, uh, comes through. I mean, one sort of rule of thumb that I like, I like to use at times like this is really just to wait until companies start going up on share prices, going up on bad numbers. And I don't think we've got there yet. So the next earnings season, the upcoming earnings season in the US, will be deeply interesting. Thank you. And Alex, we'll, we'll continue with you for the next one. Do you think it requires clarity from central banks that they have finished putting up rates or to what extent they're going to put up rates before we can start to see the share prices going up on, on bad news? At the moment, everybody just, you know, if one Fed official or one Bank of England official speaks, the market it gyrates sharply. Will that continue until we get some sort of clarity? Well, not on its own, <coughs> B, 
the the, um, the first answer. Obviously, it is it is part of of, of the equation. Um, but normally, markets will anticipate central banks taking their foot off the pedal. So I would say we won't we don't have to wait until until we actually see rates coming down. But we need to see moderation in the recessionary stroke inflationary issues um, um, that, um, that that are out there. Um, the the one thing I, I would say that I want to see more clarity on, though, is in a period of high inflation, which, of course, you know, few of us have lived through, <laughs> it strikes us that it's more difficult to run very capital-intensive businesses if you don't know what the price of the factory that you're going to build 18 months hence is, or whether the supply chain is going to allow you to get the supplies, <laughs> you may be inclined to press pause. Or if you are in a business which is very labor intensive and you don't know what the price of labor, you may be inclined not to put in place the expansion processes that you, um, that you, that you might have hoped. So there are a number of things that we, we need to see. And yes, central banks will play a key role in that. And that and when they get on top of, if they get on top of, let's be honest, the track record of central banks staying the course is is a rich and varied one, should we should we say? Okay. But if they do get on top of that, then I think we might have a wider opportunity of set of equities that we might want to invest in. Thank you. Um, Fahad is a central bank, not just action, but thoughts and thinking. Part of the asset allocation that you're doing right now, particularly within within equities. Um, absolutely. So, um, in in terms of uh, the um, reaction function of the Federal Reserve, uh, I think uh, what we saw uh, the last cycle in uh, uh, 2018, when the Federal Reserve was raising interest rates, uh, that when they get it wrong, uh, that they are uh, quite quick. Uh, you know, which is quite different from uh, prior sort of uh, the Feds, um, where Alan Greenspan and and maybe Ben Bernanke would have taken longer uh, to have started going in the opposite direction. I think this Federal Reserve is quite pragmatic, and they are too, truly data dependent. Uh, so what they are being driven by is the same thing that the markets are being driven by, which is essentially the inflation data, the month-on-month change in inflation data. And we do get prints uh, later this week, and uh, there will be uh, prints through the summer where we'll be watching the inflation data and uh, I would anticipate that as inflation uh, starts to roll over uh, that the Federal Reserve would start to then soften their language. Uh, so they are reacting to the same thing markets are and and I think um, uh, the swift change in language that we saw in the last uh, few weeks ahead of the June meeting, I think that was driven by uh, the May inflation print. So um, they are going to wait for the data. If the data turns, uh, I think they will turn as well and that will lift markets i guess the equity market or one of the equity markets that suffered most uh this year to date relative to others is 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 the u.s market how, how do you think about uh u.s um exposure right now does u.s belong still in the quality bucket for example so um, the U.S. has suffered, and um, if you uh, look at it in local currency, it's it, you know obviously down twenty percent uh, from from the peak. Um, uh, obviously, the dollar has strengthened uh, quite a lot versus sterling, uh, so that has uh, sort of protected some of that downside from a sterling point of view. Uh, the U.S. Um, valuations, to Alex's point earlier, have uh, come down a bit, and and um, I do believe that. Um, once we are past the peak in inflation, that the US can start playing that more central role in equity allocations. Uh, right now, the problem is that the valuations still remain quite high. 
and and there is room for them to come down further. Uh, but uh, on the flip side of that, uh, a lot of the problems that the US is now seeing is caused by the Federal Reserve and uh, it's caused because the US economy is stronger and therefore they need to go harder. And that US stronger economy, I think that message will come through in uh, equity returns as we look forward. Uh, so I don't think it's lost its sort of mantle as uh, you know the uh, equity market to go to. And, and we would consider it uh, at lower valuations, obviously, uh, from where we were at the start of the year, uh, more attractive relative to many other markets in the world. Thank you. Alex, as, as mentioned earlier, your, your mandates kind of carry a strapline where I've been cautiously managed and I'm sure there's lots of stocks in the US over the past decade or something that you, that you would look at and say it would be quite incautious to own those at those valuations. Are we getting to the point now where valuations mean more of them are, are screening positively for, in terms of what you, uh, you look for? Yeah, so David, I think I mentioned earlier or alluded to that we see some of the valuation destruction has happened in some of our more favourite stocks. Um, and most of these have secular growth trends that support them. And so given the right opportunity, we would be inclined to be stepping stepping back in. But because of some of the central bank action and the uncertainty around inflation, we're not doing that at the moment. But I think I'd just like to pick up on what, the difference that Fahad was making between absolute and and currency-adjusted returns in the US. Because I think it's a really great opportunity to test this hypothesis that US stocks are, the, are very expensive and therefore they're the most risky stocks to own. Now, we've always said in the types of stocks that we look for, quality stocks. That's simply not the case. And so here we stand today with the US admittedly doing worse than the UK. Now, the UK is a separate example because it's an index which is dominated by commodity companies which have done very well. But a wider index, the Euro Stocks 50, has actually, in sterling terms, underperformed the US by 5%. And that's and related to dollar strength, is it? What I am saying mm -hmm. is that we have for many years um, read in many, in many places that in a period of time where you have a valuation um, destruction-driven bear market, which is effectively what we've had, the US is likely to underperform. Mm -hmm. And it hasn't. It hasn't underperformed continental Europe. Maybe that's because of the dollar, but it shows that you can't make these hypotheses in, ab in absentium of, of, of other issues. In this case, maybe it is to do with the dollar, and that might not happen in the future. But it actually has out, um, outperformed Europe. And I think that's an important um, point to make and goes a long way to supporting our, our comment that we've made for over a decade, which is certainly in our companies. We don't find the US companies more expensive. And as a result of that, we'd be perfectly happy to continue to own more companies um, in America. You know, they are further away from the inflation issues that exist. They're not importing inflation through a cheap currency like we are. And they are in a position where they have enough energy for themselves internally and a position where they can, they have foodstuffs which can feed themselves. So they don't have that import-generated inflation that much of Europe is suffering now. Thank you. And, and is there a, an, an element of um, that there are more secular grow, growth type stocks in the US than Europe and it's a composition of the index question or, or is it, valuation related I mean you know European equities are uh, not the most fashionable asset class right now I think it's fair to say 
Well, I certainly would shy away from <coughs> domestic-orientated European earnings. Um, your question is unfair about the US versus Europe because obviously the US is a deeper, wider, broader <laughs> market and therefore there are more secular growth opportunities. That's not to say there aren't in Europe. And, and we actually find ourselves overweight Europe, which might sound odd given my <laughs> previous comment, but that's because we're in companies which are overseas earners, not particularly okay. European domestic earners. Thank you. Um, Fahad, how do you uh, think about uh, commodity equity exposure right now? The the big miners, for example, and the big oil companies, certainly they're, um, uh, they have high uh, yields uh, right now, although that's not really the mm. what, what we're here for today on this podcast. But, but are they an interesting uh, area of the market for you? Or again, is there, is there an element of um, they've, had their, they've had their day in the sun? Uh, they are an interesting area of the market for us um, and uh, partly because uh, they provide uh, that diversification in portfolios. So we're always looking to sort of uh, give uh, more uh, than is available through individual parts of the equity market and uh, commodities is uh, one of those diversifiers that people tend to overlook uh, and they get bucketed in with a value uh, and uh, people you know can sometimes have value exposure but not have commodity exposure for example you could be in banks thinking that you have value exposure banks have not protected this year commodities have and it's important to realize that if you are in a late cycle phase, that commodities, uh, while they come with various risks, obviously oil prices are ele- elevated uh, because of uh, special circumstances uh, and can pull back. But having uh, uh, an allocation to commodities within any global portfolio uh, from an equity standpoint, I think is merited, uh, particularly uh, the lack of investment that we uh, are seeing. Commod- the commodity producers have been very disciplined um, and I would go as far as to say uh, that they are being very rational in terms of how they're thinking about allocating for the next phase and many of the issues that uh, you know probably come up in ESG uh, uh, type talks uh, have um, made it more difficult for these people to invest for the future uh, which means that the supply issues that we now face uh, may last longer because they're not investing uh, because they're worried about demand in the future. Thank you. We we almost did an entire investment podcast without mentioning ESG, but you had to ruin that for us, Fahad. <laughs> Alex, I'm not going to ask you about ESG. I know you get asked about it a million times like everybody else does. But um, what I will ask you about is, in terms of commodity exposure, can that ever be quality? Can it ever be defensive? Can it ever be in a fund that's cautiously managed? Well, let's take a step back and think about how you might define quality. And if there are two things that's bring to my mind, the first would be barriers to entry, mm-hmm. and the second would be pricing power. So let's take a copper mine. The barriers to entry are pretty high. Um, there is very little supply. Fahad was talking, was talking about there's very little supply coming on. It's quite politicised. There are higher ESG <laughs> costs uh, associated with producing copper and producing uh, and bringing on m- more mines. So I think the barriers, yes, people can build new copper mines, but it takes a long time. So I think the barriers to entry are sustainable, certainly in the medium term. Pricing power, well, this is why it offers diversification in a portfolio, because they do have pricing power. No, they don't have control over input and output prices. So are they ever the highest quality companies in your portfolio? Possibly not. But they're certainly able to benefit from 
as an inflation inflation mm-hmm. hedge. Those commodities that they do dig up out of the ground and refine should benefit or should should be able to assert themselves in a period uh, um, a period of inflation. But obviously, they do hire lots of people. Mm-hmm. They are unionized. They do operate in difficult environments. There, there, so are, there, are, cost there, there are macro drivers. There, there's an element of cyclicality. So my, my answer to your question is: I think that they can be quality, but mm-hmm. you have to be in areas of. Let's just use copper because it's simple. Mm-hmm. They. Um, they can be quality because they're in areas where there is secular growth and there is a strong supply and demand imbalance for the foreseeable future. Thank you. And is that, do you have uh, some exposure in commodities or do you break it out like that? We have a little bit of exposure in, in copper. We have a little exposure on the soft commodity side, but we don't in, in, in oil and gas. Thank you. Thank you for that, Alex. Illingworth, a global equity fund manager at Artemis, and Fahad Hassan, chief investment officer at Albemarle Street Partners. And thank you both for joining me and thank you all for listening. And do remember to tune in to the next edition of the FT Advisor podcast. Thank you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.